Every now and then, I meet someone who's changing the world for the better by their sheer will alone. Whether they're authors, activists, or adventurous, these people are blazing a path with their deep enthusiasm and allowing the world to follow. Their passion is strong, and my passion is to tell their stories. I am Brian Platt, and this is Passion Project. Welcome. So in this episode of the podcast, I speak with Dr. Larry Cahoon. He's a professor at UNCW in the Department of Biology and Marine Biology, and he was actually the first podcast episode I ever had. He was the first guest I ever had on this podcast, and a reason for starting this podcast. I moved here to this area, Wilmington, North Carolina, about five years ago, and started learning about the water quality issues, mainly issues that came from upstream, um, from a DuPont chemical plant. So... I reached out to Dr. Cahoon. I was really curious, really concerned about the water quality. And we spoke. And it has since become one of my most downloaded podcasts. I guess a lot of people are interested because it's not just a Wilmington, North Carolina issue. This is a national. And as we talk about, this is actually a global issue. So I actually recently read an article about this issue. And it got me thinking about Dr. Cahoon and what he's been up to and how the fight has been with DuPont Chemicals and chem wars and, and this whole uh, issue we have upstream. So we talk about that and actually have some surprisingly good news, which is great. Um, find that that's pretty rare, <laughs> unfortunately, in conservation podcasts or just in con- conservation conversations and topics and issues. Normally it's never positive, especially as half a decade passes. But in this instance, there is a lot of positive. Um, there's a lot to, to pull out from this, which is great, which is what I always really strive for. And I want to dedicate this one to my dad, Mike Platt. He passed away from cancer about eight months ago. Today actually would have been his birthday. And for a while, I didn't feel like recording any more podcast episodes, didn't feel like really doing much of anything. But he listened to every episode. He loved them. Um, we could read the books that I would get sent or talk about the interviewees that I would be able to, to speak with. And um, it was a big part of our lives because conservation and nature was a big part of his life. And he was the reason that I care so deeply about the issues I care about. And he's also the reason I try to stay positive about things, which can be difficult in the world today or just with interpersonal, just how things are going in your personal life, I guess. But I did want to dedicate this one to Mike Platt and everyone here on out. Um, but yeah, love you, Dad. And I hope you all enjoy this podcast episode. Thanks. All right. Well, Dr. Cahoon, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I was just mentioning to you that like you were the re- a big part of the reason that I started this podcast. Uh, you and your knowledge source of what we're going to talk about today, the, the water quality in, in Wilmington, North Carolina, and I guess around the country. Um, but yeah, and you have s- since been one of the most downloaded, if not the most downloaded podcast episode I've done. Uh, and it's been like five years. So I figure it makes sense to, to retouch base on, on where we are with, um, you know, like I mentioned, this is, you know, you're, you're Wilmington based, but I, I think a lot of your work extends way beyond that. And obviously your knowledge does as well to to PFAS uh, uh, around the country and, and um, potentially beyond. So thank you so much for joining me. And, and I'm really looking forward to talking with you about this and hope, hoping that we got some good news because I've been hearing some good news about other companies, about other parts of the country. Right. And I'm hoping right. that we can... <laughs> you know, it's more of a nationwide trend than uh, just kind of isolated. Yeah. Uh, well, well, you're very welcome. Uh, I'm happy to try and update the audience on what's going on with PFAS. Um, PFAS per fluoro and per or polyfluoroalkylated substances, PFAS. And this is a, a large class of compounds that were developed starting back in the, uh, actually the, the late 1930s originally, but uh, were, were broadly uh, manufactured starting in the 1950s. And they, they have a variety of uh, very nice uses. Um, uh, nonstick cookware is one, uh, Teflon, you've heard of that. Um, water repellent clothing, 
like Gore-Tex, um, a variety of other uh, kinds of food packaging films, hmm. uh, and, and many other uh, commercial and industrial uses. Uh, these compounds um, are, are not flammable. They don't break down in the environment. They don't rot or decay. And therein lies part of the problem. We call PFAS forever chemicals because the molecular bonds that hold them together are extremely tight bonds. And uh, they don't break down under normal conditions. Uh, to get rid of these compounds, uh, generally what we have to do is use extremely high temperature combustion. And that's expensive, and it's got some risks attached to it. Um, for us here in Wilmington, as I mentioned uh, before, uh, the, the story about PFAS really hit us square between the eyes back in 2017 when we found out from our local newspaper that there were PFAS chemicals in our drinking water supply. And we found out uh, that they were largely coming from a manufacturer upstream, uh, Chemwars. Uh, Chemwars was a, a spinoff company derived from DuPont. Uh, DuPont has since changed names. Uh, there was old DuPont, which spun off Chemwars and a few other companies. And there's what the uh, courts sometimes call new DuPont or Corteva. That's the latest version of the name for the company. Um, but they joined a couple of other companies that manufactured large quantities of these PFAS compounds. Um, one of those companies has made the news recently. That's 3M, mm -hmm. uh, Minnesota Manufacturing and Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing, 3M. Um, and they have uh, announced that they're going to stop production of PFAS compounds in the reasonably near future. And they've also announced that they're going to provide a very large amount of money in the billions of dollars as compensation for cleanup and mitigation costs for PFAS pollution. Um, and uh, that that's a business decision. It was not forced by a, uh, a court. Um, Oh, wow. They are being sued uh, by a number of folks, uh, they being all these companies. Uh, DuPont and Chemoirs are being sued by hundreds of different sets of plaintiffs, including several in our area. Um, what, what has developed is that the public's awareness of these chemicals and the risks that they pose has grown uh, exponentially in the last five or six years. This PFAS story has become a national story. Matter of fact, it's really a global story. We're finding PFAS compounds in penguins in the Antarctic and polar bears in the Arctic. Um, we find them in 99% uh, of the people in this country whose blood has been tested. Uh, we're finding them in fish, in freshwater rivers and ponds and lakes. Uh, matter of fact, uh, the assessment that I've, I've read recently is that the PFAS content of freshwater fish is generally sufficient that we should not be eating them. Wow. Um, we haven't had formal consumption advisories uh, uh, put out um, in many places. The Cape Fear River uh, just had uh, a fish consumption advisory posted by our Department of Environmental Quality. Um, and that, that just came out this week. Um, and it's advising people to forego eating uh, the fish from the river. Um, and bear in mind that some number of folks, especially poorer folks, are fishing for subsistence. They eat what they catch. Uh, a lot of recreational fishers don't, but uh, many of them do, and some of them are eating fish because they have no choice. Uh, so these people are being exposed to PFAS in their diet, in addition to being exposed to PFAS in their drinking water and in consumer products to which they're exposed. So we're learning more and more, and as we learn more and more, I'd, I'd have to say the news is getting somewhat grimmer. 
Um, we're finding these compounds all over the place. Um, again, I, I mentioned that uh, 99% of the people in the United States have measurable levels of PFAS in their blood. Now that category includes a lot of different chemicals. Uh, I've had my blood tested and uh, unfortunately I'm an overachiever. Um, I'm, or I was as of the last time I had blood drawn in fall of 2021, uh, in the 98th percentile for PFAS concentration in my bloodstream. And uh, I am not very happy about that. There's going to be another sampling program coming up soon. And I'll have my blood tested as part of that. And I'll see if I've made any progress in reducing those numbers. Um, that, that's metric I don't want to be a super achiever for. Yeah. So how, how can you... So great context there because that answered a lot of my questions before i even got to them but how can um actually first question is um how long right we've kind of learned about in the past five years at least in the wilmington area how long would you say dupont and chem Wars have been dumping chemicals like this whether it's chemex or, or whatever or gen x whichever one yeah. gen x was the it's one. decades right yeah decades um, essentially, as long as they've been manufacturing these compounds, they've been putting them out in the environment. Uh, DuPont, um, you know, has been in business for many decades, and uh, we know that they have been generating uh, uh, significant environmental pollution with a chemical called PFOA, PFOA, which stands for fluorooctane uh, carbon or uh, Fluorooctane, octanoate. Yeah, excuse me for bobbling that. It's Friday afternoon. Did better than I could. I'm babbling my organic chemistry here. Um, they they started producing that compound in 1951, and they were putting that out into the environment well into the 2010s. Um, they stopped producing that compound and putting it out in our environment here in North Carolina in April of 2013. At least that's my understanding of uh, what I've seen in the literature. Uh, so that stuff's been out there for 60 years or more. And that's one of the most commonly found compounds. Now, PFOA production uh, was phased out as part of a consent agreement between the manufacturers and the EPA that was agreed to in 2006. DuPont didn't stop putting that stuff out until 2013. Right. So it took seven years for the consent agreement to come into effect. Um, and, and all this time, we knew that this compound was toxic to humans. That had been established a decade before that. And so, uh, you know, the chemical industry, uh, at least as far as uh, PFAS production went, has been given uh, a lot of uh, a lot of leeway here to keep producing stuff as long as they were on track to phase it out. Hmm. Um, as I mentioned earlier, 3M is going to stop all PFAS production, I think by 2030. Okay. So another seven years or so. Gotcha. I, I, yeah. Okay, cool. That's good to know. I think I read 2025, but I mean, I definitely, you're, you're, I definitely trust your numbers more than the ones I, I might have seen. But that was kind of my other question is how comparison, right? Uh, 3M, right? We could look to them maybe as industry leaders in this sense. But like how much, uh, what's their output compared to what we're looking at uh, in, in southeastern North Carolina? I, I, I don't know offhand. They've got a lot of different uh, uh, production facilities and they produce different compounds. Okay. Again, the class of compounds is very large. The number of commercially produced compounds is much smaller. Um, but what you get is lots and lots of byproducts. And uh, the compound that got us all riled up back in 2017 here in Wilmington was something they called Gen X. Gen X. Yeah. Well, it turns out that Gen X was being produced as a commercial product uh, starting. Well, they were permitted to produce it starting in 2010, meant to be a replacement for PFOA. Um, and initially the thought was, well, 
that's the source of the contamination. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, actually, that was not true. The production line for Gen X was not the source of the vast majority of the Gen X pollution in the river and in the atmosphere. Turns out that Gen X was also generated as a byproduct of a completely separate PFAS production facility, what they call up there the vinyl ethers plant, uh, one of the two. And I've looked at some of the air emission data and sure enough, uh, Gen X was being put out as a byproduct and was being discharged into the river and into the atmosphere, uh, probably going way back to early 1980s. So that stuff's been out there for wow. 40 years or more, uh, along with a lot of other byproducts. When we look at detailed data sets on the different compounds that are being produced, it looks like uh, many of them are byproducts, not commercial products. Uh, that they actually sell for profit, mm-hmm. uh, but they're byproducts of the synthesis process, which is complex. And those byproducts, uh, in many cases, are, are hardly known to science. They're poorly studied at best. Uh, we don't have good toxicology information on a lot of them. And something else that we've seen in the data sets, uh, I just had a grad student uh, defend a master's thesis on PFAS loading in the Cape Fear River. Uh, Some of those compounds appear to have been produced for a short period of time Hmm. during the interval we looked at and then disappear. Um, So we think they're byproducts of a specific process that generated something for four, five, six months, whatever. And then they stopped doing that and produced something else generating other byproducts. So the pattern uh, of production of these things varies depending on market conditions, I assume. They get an order for a certain kind of chemical, they produce that and its byproducts. Things wind up in the environment and then they stop and that stuff doesn't show up anymore. Interesting. Uh, But it's in our bodies. So, and so that you just got to my next question was you mentioned, first you mentioned forever chemicals and I was, you know, I was kind of under the impression that they would stay in your body forever, but you also mentioned, Hey, if you take another test, it could, you could have fewer PFAS in your, or just forever chemicals in general in your body. How does that work out? Is it just through regular excretion? Um, Yeah, we, we have different terms for that clearance, uh, the rate of turnover, uh, depuration, whatever you want to call it. Um, getting rid of the stuff from your body. Um, some of these compounds stick inside your body better than others. Some of them appear to be excreted um, more rapidly than hmm. others. Um, the, the two compounds that we refer to as legacy compounds, PFOA and PFOS, uh, and I'll talk about PFOS a little bit in a minute, Um, Those two compounds are not produced anymore in the United States. Um, PFOS is still in use. uh, And again, we'll get to that in a minute. But they they appear to be extremely persistent in human bodies. Uh, They stick around for a very long time. So you take them in and you don't excrete them. Some of the other compounds apparently clear through rather rapidly. So uh, for example, we here in Wilmington uh, are now able to drink municipal supply of water that is treated with granular activated carbon. It removes all the PFAS compounds down to below detection levels. And that's been true since this past October. So we're, what, seven, eight, nine months down the road from having truly clean water to drink. So. Hopefully, we're, we're beginning to flush our bodies out of some of these more mobile compounds. Wow. So I, I, that's in the Wilmington area as of last October? Yeah. Yeah. Our water treatment plant brought a, a granular activated carbon system online. Wow. Uh, it's a real big system. 
um, 15 cells, I think 3 million pounds of granular activated carbon cost us over $45 million. And the water utility is suing Chemwars and DuPont for the cost of doing that because we're cleaning up their mess. Right. Right. Okay. Well, hey, that's good. Okay. Well, that's good. A hearty positive news, at least that I didn't know of before. What about well water in the area? I know that there's a lot of people in the in oh, the area. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well water is a problem. Um, uh, back in uh, uh, four, five, six years ago, I can't remember exactly when the lawsuit was filed, but Cape Fear River Watch and full disclosure, I'm on the board of directors for Cape Fear River Watch. We sued the state of North Carolina and Chemwars to force them to stop discharging these chemicals into the river and into the air. And what resulted was a court ordered consent agreement. And the consent agreement included a provision that Chemwars has to test wells that may be contaminated with their products and byproducts uh, and continue to test those wells uh, until they find wells that don't have their stuff in them. If the wells turn up positive for their compounds above a certain level, um, they're supposed to provide reverse osmosis treatment or some other way of cleaning up that well water so that the owners can uh, drink safe water after all. Um, this process has not been pretty. Um, Chemwars did not want to test as many wells as we thought they should. Uh, we've had to go back to court uh, at least once, probably more than that, uh, to, to have the judge explain to them, no, you have to do the following things and you have to test additional wells, not just the limited number you thought you'd get away from. When you do the math on the cost, not only of the testing, but also of providing uh, for free to the owners of the wells, uh, the treatment systems that are required under the consent agreement, it gets up into the hundreds of millions of dollars mm. pretty quickly. Because we're looking at many hundreds of wells that are contaminated, uh, many of them around the Chemwars facility uh, contaminated by aerial discharges of stuff out there, smokestacks. And down this way toward Wilmington, we're about 100 miles away from Chemwars. We get some aerial deposition of PFAS, but a lot of it is because our river water supply was contaminated and river water has polluted parts of the surface aquifers Mm -hmm. people tap into. Um, in addition to that, uh, the water coming out of the water treatment facility up until last October had PFAS compounds in it. So if you sprinkled your lawn with municipal water, uh, your lawn and the surface aquifer under it were contaminated with PFAS as well. Groundwater moves laterally. So you could contaminate other people's well water by lateral transport of polluted water coming out of the river by a couple different mechanisms. And so the more we look, the more we find. Hmm. Um, some of these wells turn up negative, but many of them uh, by, and, and this has been a surprise. Many of them have turned up with high levels of PFAS that are clearly coming from our friends up the river at Chemwars, and you wouldn't expect it. Uh, so there've been a uh, been a lot of back and forth with the company about no, you have to test those wells as well. And then when they turn up positive, you've got to help those people out. You got to provide them with the means to clean up their drinking water supply. Now bear in mind that's only for their drinking water use. Gonna ask, yeah, yeah. Um, the reverse osmosis treatment for a whole house system is expensive. Same thing with granular activated carbon. It's expensive to treat 
everything in your house, uh, your showers, your washing machines, your dishwashers, and, and all of that. Um, what they're doing is only providing cleanup for the water you drink. Um, and even there, we've had some pushback from them. Oh, do we have to provide a system for every sink in the house? Uh, well, I think it's up to three. Uh, so you got to tell the kids, don't drink the water coming out of that tap. Only drink the water coming out of this one. So there's a lot of burden on homeowners and renters uh, to make sure they know which taps are safe to drink from and which are not. Gotcha. Okay. And that you're, you're, you're getting all my follow-ups because that's kind of my next question. It's like, how much should people be concerned? Let's say their well water or their water supply, you know, they're not in Wilmington anymore because uh yeah. because the, the the treatment there but let's say elsewhere how much should they be concerned about swimming about showering washing dishes and washing clothes with pfas contaminated water is that a huge concern or is that less i my own personal opinion and for what that's worth is that those kinds of of non-consumptive uses of your water supply where you're not drinking it or cooking your food in it uh, washing, uh, cleaning, that sort of thing, probably fairly safe. Um, th that route of exposures, uh, probably pretty minimal. We don't really know for sure. Sure. Uh, I kind of guess or assume that as long as you're not drinking PFAS contaminated water, you're probably okay. But bear in mind, you make your coffee in that water, uh, you cook your food in that water. Uh, so all of those activities where you're consuming the water directly or indirectly are probably the main route of exposure in your household. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're pretty strict about using some of the, um, you know, reverse osmosis water from, you know, the containers for everything, coffee, ice, all that stuff. But like, I'm right. not going to, even right. our dog water, like I'm not feeding my dog the bad oh, water, yeah. but I can't say we wash our dishes with that. Good uh, and that's important. Uh, let me say something about pets. Yeah. Um, dogs and cats are carnivores, right? You feed them meat out in the real world. Uh, they don't eat a lot of veggies and starch and all of that. Um, and so their livers that would normally detoxify various toxins are not as sophisticated as ours. Uh, humans are generalists. We're omnivores. Uh, we eat all kinds of stuff. I mean, there are a lot of things that, that a dog or cat owner would know. Don't feed this to Fido. Chocolate, onions, garlic, stuff like that. They can't detoxify the toxic compounds in those materials. We can we can eat onions, we can eat garlic, we can eat chocolate, no problem. Our livers can handle that. Hmm. We evolved as, as omnivores. We eat a lot of things. And our livers are very sophisticated in terms of their ability to process novel compounds. Not PFAS, because that's completely off the table. But uh, dogs and cats don't have the protective physiology available to them that we have so when they're exposed to toxicants they're much more likely to develop diseases of various kinds cancers things like that they're not as robust as we are they're, hmm. they're rather more tender than we are if you will um, and the veterinarians in this area say they see a lot of pet cancers a lot oh wow and I wouldn't doubt that PFAS exposure is a piece of that. Yeah. Okay. That makes me feel both good and bad. Obviously, we've been trying to feed our dog, uh, you know, give him only uh, uh, right. quality water. But sometimes we've been a suspect of that water, right? Like we'll get it from, you know, uh, grocery stores or whatever, those refillable jugs, and you just never yeah. know anything. Yeah. Yeah. The water supply is not always transparently clear in terms of where it comes from and and what's been done to it um so yeah it, it puts us all in a tough spot um and this is this is another consequence of the discharge of these compounds into our environment 
without any responsibility being taken for the consequences. Um, these companies basically got to use our air and our water for waste disposal for free. Mm. We're paying the price for that. Yeah, that's a good way of putting that. Um, and how, how do we know what their replacements like? I mean, I'm, I'm just always so skeptical that the replacement's going to be as bad or or or, or worse. <laughs> You know, it's just, you, you know, you kind of mentioned the timeline of like there was this period that there was a replacement and this was outlawed. And and now, um, you know, what happens yeah. fast forward 15 years or something like they don't really seem to be doing the work ahead of time, only after. Out of toxicological research that's been done on these commercial products uh, it can never keep up with the, the actual approval and production of them. Um, when you propose to produce a new commercial chemical, you're required to test that chemical in some basic ways for safety. And they did that with Gen X, and they knew that uh, this, this compound in, in reasonably pure form was quite dangerous. So the workers in the plant have to wear full body suits. Um, uh, they have to wear gloves they have to wear respirators and all of that because the the stuff in pure form is extremely toxic very very dangerous um okay so you're not supposed to drink gen x when you, you know, handle it um but when it's used to produce something else uh the testing of those kinds of exposures is much much uh less than what we would like to see the exposures we're experiencing are, you know, low level. The problem is these chemicals don't break down. You can't detoxify them in your body. We know something about how some of them either accumulate or pass through your body. Um, but the toxicology directed at, at human effects from low level chronic exposures uh, is still being done. So we don't really know. Um, what I have seen is that as we get more information about these compounds, one at a time, and there's thousands of them, mm. we're learning that the safety levels probably need to be much lower than what we were told to begin with. Uh, the recommended uh, safe levels, for example, of PFOA, and PFOS, which is used in firefighting foam. Firefighters turn out gear to make it waterproof and flameproof. Um, the, the safety levels are much, much lower than we had thought. Um, the, the, the better toxicological research is showing that the dangers from those exposures to those chemicals are much more severe than we expected. Wow. Yeah, firefighters uh, are are now well aware that the firefighting foams and their turnout gear are actually quite dangerous, and firefighters are suffering significant levels of cancer. Uh, they're exposed to a lot of carcinogens, smoke, and all of that can be quite dangerous. But we're now beginning to realize that their own equipment, the stuff they use to fight fires can be dangerous to them as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that brings up a good point of like, I know there's cancer is obviously a huge one. Um, there's also risks like obesity, thyroid disease, decreased fertility, liver damage. Like what, what are the other beyond cancer? What else are you, have you been, have you seen, um, have you been told about? Yeah. Uh, we think these chemicals interfere with, um, and some of them at least, interfere with uh, lipid processing, lipids or fats in your bloodstream and in your body. Uh, we think they, uh, they interfere with cholesterol metabolism. Uh, we think that they interfere with um, thyroid function. We think they interfere, uh, some of them at least, with uh, hormone function. Um, they function as what we call endocrine disruptors. Endocrines are 
internal chemicals that have effects on your physiology, hormones. Um, and, and what can go wrong when your hormone system is disrupted? Well, uh, an awful lot. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably more out there to be discovered. Um, we, we find these things not because we know what to look for, but because we have a standard set of things we look for to see if those chemicals cause those problems. Um, so we do it in kind of a backwards way. Um, it's like firing a machine gun in a crowd and looking to see if you hit anybody. After the fact, it's like, oh, we shouldn't have done that. Well, that's what's going on with these chemicals. We're putting them out there and then we're looking to see, well, what happened to the people who are exposed? Um, that That's not really the best way to do this. Um, uh, our understanding of these compounds as toxicants is still relatively primitive. We don't know the mechanisms, not all of them anyway. Um, we think that um, they tend to stick to proteins in your blood and in your cells and your tissues. And proteins are often involved in the chemical signaling of one cell to another or one tissue to another. And if you mess up that signaling, it's kind of like spam on your cell phone, okay? When you're getting a spam message, another message can't get through. And if your phone is filled with spam messages, uh, your your buffer capacity is used up and so on and so on. I don't want to go too far with that analogy, but if you mess up the signaling processes that take place in your body under normal conditions, who knows what's going to go wrong? We don't. They've got, you know, nearly 10,000 known PFAS compounds. Do they all behave the same way? Right. We don't Um, Do they behave in really unusual ways, depending on which compound you're looking at? We don't really have a full view of that yet. And it's likely to take an enormous amount of effort and a lot of time to find out. And in the meantime, we're exposed to that stuff. And when you say we, you mean, mean, again, you mentioned that you mean... Like we're talking nationally and even globally, right? I, I read somewhere that it was like 45% of the water in the U.S. alone has yeah. some sort of PFAS in it. So where are the top, where are the top areas, right? We're, we've been talking a lot about North Carolina, but like... Basically all the industrial countries in the world that use these compounds are, are crawling with them. So, uh, you know, the United States certainly is crawling with them. And what's what states? Uh, sorry, what states within uh, the United States or regions? Yeah, they're produced in a lot of places. Um, uh, you know, 3M's based in Minnesota, so you've got you know facilities in Minnesota. Uh, Dupont was based in Delaware um, and New Jersey, and so Delaware, New Jersey, and, and Pennsylvania are crawling with facilities. Um, Dupont had a very big. PFOA factory in Parkersburg, West Virginia, became the subject of a book and a yes. movie uh, with Mark Ruffalo. The movie was called Dark Waters. It's based on the work by a lawyer named Rob Billot to uncover the effects of PFOA on the workers and neighbors for that facility in West Virginia. And, and the whole thing stretched out over a couple decades. Uh, and, and he was very dogged in his determination to get to the bottom of it, filed a big class action lawsuit against DuPont uh, that took something like 17 years to go through the courts, finally resulted in a settlement of $680 million, something like that, uh, for 3,500 plaintiffs, Wow! Uh, most employees or, or you know, close by neighbors. Um, and what did DuPont do? They moved PFOA production from Parkersburg to North Carolina. Wow. <laughs> facility up the river from us. That's what they did. Wow. So um, this is the exact same, pretty much the same facility. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They moved the, the production to, to our place because, you know, 
here in North Carolina, we're dumb and stupid. I guess they thought they could put it over on us. Wow, I didn't know it was the um, same. They did for quite a while. I mean, they had us fooled for a long time. Wow, that's that's infuriating. So, does that have have we talked at all? About, okay, so sorry, you were talking about the locations and the areas. Obviously, any industrial countries, um, right? China's got a lot of trouble with PFAS. I bet. Um, a- any country with you know major industrial development is going to be using these compounds. I mean, think about Teflon alone. How many different ways do we find Teflon in use? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a specialty product. It's used in a lot of different applications, not just nonstick frying pans, but lots of other applications. And so wherever you're using Teflon, you're either producing it close by or you're importing stuff from somebody that is producing it. Uh, so, you know, PFAS production is a global phenomenon. Um, and then they release the stuff into the air. All the byproducts go up the smokestacks until you uh, install thermal oxidizers. I want to mention that because when DuPont got bagged for PFOA pollution around Parkersburg, West Virginia, back in the early 2000s, they installed a thermal oxidizer unit, which is a very high temperature system for processing the gaseous byproducts that come out of the plant. And it uses very, very high temperatures to essentially burn the stuff up. And it costs a fair penny to install one of those. Um, They did not install one of those at their Chemoirs facility uh, upstream from from us here in Wilmington until 2019. Oh my God. They knew what they were doing and they came down here and did the same old damn thing they were doing up in West Virginia decades before. And they did not spend the money to install a thermal oxidizer until they were forced to do that by the consent agreement. That was another aspect of it. Cost them a hundred million dollars, but they're being sued for billions because right. of the pollution they did create. Right. Oh man. So they're actually sometimes you I don't know. I, I refuse I don't want to believe that that people and the people who work and own these organizations are as you know, greedy and money driven as they are, but I mean, come on. I mean, oh, yeah. they're already learning these lessons. Yeah. It's yeah, not. Yeah. It's about money. Yeah. Of course. Uh, some of the early settlements uh, that have been announced recently and DuPont and Camoirs and Cortiva announced one a couple of weeks ago, I think $1.1 billion. Uh, they're not granting any of that to folks here in Southeast North Carolina, but they're trying to settle some of these lawsuits and they're doing it to build investor confidence. That's literally Mm -hmm. the phrase they use. They want to get some of these lawsuits behind them so that investors will have more confidence in their ultimate profitability. Oh my God. Oh yeah. It's about the money. Yeah. It's just frustrating because you, you figured they would listen, they would learn a lesson, right? With what happened in, in, um, West Virginia not expecting. I mean, did they just expect that people would not care or not know or they had a little um, bit of time to burn? I could only speculate. I I, I don't want to say anything too specific, but uh, let's just put it this way. They had, uh, shall we say, political help here. Um, I'll leave it at that. But sure. there were folks who knew what was going on and let them get away with it. Hmm. Okay. I could name a few names, but I won't do that. Right. I'm sure there's some legal issues with that. Uh, what about production over time? Do they talk about that a lot at all? Like, do they talk about, like, at least we've reduced this, or or, or do they just, are they really silent to all these um, claims? Um, Camwars has announced that they intend to expand production of some of their product lines. Um, They haven't told us which ones. They've said that uh, broad 
spectrum demand for fluorochemicals uh, is going up. And um, so they're proposing to expand their facility up at Fayetteville Works. That's the name of the plant mm-hmm. uh, upstream of Wilmington. Um, they're applying for permits and so forth. Uh, the state is looking at those permits and at public comments about that. Um, and uh, so we'll see what happens. But they're they're planning to plunge straight ahead. They're not planning to, to uh, curtail uh, production. Now, uh, in the meantime, they have been forced uh, to curtail their discharges to the environment at quite substantial expense. And they have been forced to pay for at least some of the mitigation that that the consent agreement requires. What they have not done is to compensate the water utilities for their expenses in cleaning up the drinking water supply for hundreds of thousands of people here in North Carolina. Um, And they have not been willing to settle the class action lawsuit that's been filed against them uh, by uh, folks here in Southeastern North Carolina. they're continuing to fight those efforts. And that's probably gonna drag out for quite a while. I don't expect to see either set of lawsuits go forward to actual trial for quite a long time. Uh, So I was definitely hopeful when I read about 3M, right? I think that was one of the reasons I wanted to pull you on was to talk about where we are with Fayetteville Works. But it sounds like not only is it not, are they not concerned they have no desire to remove PFAS from their production. They're going to expand, and they've turned a blind yeah. at everything else. Right. Um, they are treating their uh, discharges uh, a whole lot better than they were. Um, they're not discharging PFAS into the river um, most of the time. Um, some of the data that I've seen shows that they've had uh, a couple of spills uh, since the consent agreement went into place, um, little accidents, you know, like a bucket of Gen X getting kicked over, that sort of thing. Um, they have been required to uh, curtail as much as possible the groundwater seepage from under the plant into the river. The river's right, uh, right there next to the plant. The plant's right on the banks of the Cape Fear River. And we knew that there were some number of groundwater seeps causing contaminated water to seep out from under the plant into the river, which again is our drinking water supply. Mm. And they finally finished building a wall, literally an underground wall to block off that flow of groundwater, pump that water out and treat it before it's then discharged into the river. So, We've made progress. Wow, yeah. It's been like pulling teeth. We've had to get them into court, had to have a consent agreement. Uh, The state did fine them uh, for their pollution problems. Uh, We had to force the state to do that. Uh, State of North Carolina, you know, kind of fumbled around for quite a while, not knowing what to do. Hmm. And Watch had to sue them to get them to do what they were supposed to do. Um, and, and you know, we're a citizen organization. It took the concerned citizens of the Cape Fear Valley uh, acting through Cape Fear River Watch to get the state to enforce the law and make chemoirs stop polluting our drinking water. Wow. So, so now, yeah. yeah. So that does sound like a success story. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. like, like, it sounds like at this point, obviously had that granular uh, carbon system set up in the water. Right. So any municipal water is now going to be treated. Uh, right. Chemors has been strong. What's that? We're paying for that. Um, the, the water utility has to charge their customers for that. Now, they're suing Chemors to make them pay for it. But I'm one of their customers and my water bill has gone up to help pay for that granular activated carbon. Okay. And, and you know, of course, all of us feel that Chemoir should pay for that. Yeah. Um, but they're refusing to do that. Um, so there's a lawsuit underway to make them do that. And I think we will win. 
but wow. it's going to be dragged out for years and years, right? Okay. Oh, okay. So there's that, which of course they are <laughs> denying uh, payment of that. But then it also sounds right. like there is, okay, at this point, it seems like PFAS has stopped being dumped deliberately into the river. So right. any new water. And then also seepage around the river is also, be, or the plant is also being treated. So th those do, uh, by, there's no means the work is over for you all and for the citizens right. of this area. But it seems like those are three huge, oh, and on the, um, you know, the reverse osmosis in the wells that have been affected. So those seems like... Yeah. Big win since we've last talked. What what would the next steps be, and uh, what um, do you have on your plate? Big wins. Uh, the next steps would be to settle those lawsuits and get appropriate compensation for those who've been harmed by their pollution. Um, I'm not an attorney, so I can't comment on you know the merits of the suits and likelihoods and and all the details, but. Um, we're also finding that the entire watershed was contaminated by PFAS, not just the river, uh, but there are PFAS compounds in the soil, in the biota, the plants, the animals, presumably. Of course. Uh, and all of that stuff is very slowly leaching into the river. Um, some count, some compounds apparently are, are leaching more quickly than others. Um, the legacy compounds, PFOA and PFOS, they're everywhere on the planet. Um, and they do not appear to be declining in concentration. Um, some of the compounds specifically produced by chemoirs appear to be, and I'll say it's a qualified uh, observation, appear to be declining in concentration over time. It's possible that at some point in the future, they will have been flushed out of the watershed down to below detection limits. But that does not mean that the other compounds, the legacy compounds, and perhaps some of the, uh, many of the other byproducts that were released uh, will behave the same way. So we have a mixed bag in terms of uh, the stuff being flushed out. And of course, when I say flushed out, where is it going? Right, of course. Uh, into the ocean. And here we are on the coast and we like to eat seafood. So is it contaminating our seafood? Um, the preliminary answer is probably. Uh, we don't know how much. Um, but the stuff doesn't break down. It doesn't break down in the ocean. It doesn't break down in the air. It doesn't break down in the soil. So if it washes out of the river, it's going somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not being degraded and it becomes harder and harder to get a handle on it. So it'll be out there in the oceans for thousands of years. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it was another one of my questions, just like ocean fish, if we've done any, any reports, but it sounds like no. But um so let's say if it stays the status quo, if things are the way they are, right? This The huge, I, I still think huge successes you guys have been able to see and, and, the, and the citizens of this area have been able to push the state to, to, to ensure. Um, it sounds like even if there are no more wins and obviously no more steps back with any new chemicals or anything, what someone at some point, maybe five years, three years, a year, I don't know, could be able to drink water, whether it's well water or uh, municipal water, which sounds like it's already safe, but well water in this area, southeastern North Carolina, without fear of immediate chemicals. Is, is that true um, or is, am I kind of oversimplifying it? Uh, it, it does depend. Um, I've seen some well water data recently, and it looks like the shallow aquifer, that is the rainfall-fed aquifer, and a lot of folks with uh, less expensive wells only drill into the surface aquifer, that water is likely to be contaminated for a very long time. The folks who've got wells down into the deeper aquifers, and those wells cost more to install, and you need a little bit more pumping power to get that water out, those deeper aquifers appear at this point to be clean. Now, those aquifers uh, may have very old water in them, meaning that 
that water is replaced very slowly. And so it's conceivable that somewhere down the road, the PFAS contaminated water that's out there in the ground makes its way into those aquifers you know, decades or centuries from now and shows up by surprise. Wow, okay. I don't know. I don't know. Can't forecast that. Uh, depends on the aquifer. Depends on where you are and how fast you pull water up. Um, so I think that the good news is that the deeper wells generally seem to be pretty clean um, as more and more of the water utilities in the area uh, spin up their reverse osmosis or granular activated carbon systems. The municipal water supplies will become safe. Uh, there was a plant that just opened across the river. Um, in Brunswick County that now provides RO water, reverse osmosis mm. water that is fast free for their customers. Uh, the Brunswick County plant should have their reverse osmosis system for the big plant uh, online sometime in the next year. Wow. So okay. progress is made. Wow. Um, the question then is, you know, who's going to pay for that? Uh, ideally, Chemwars pays for that. Uh, sooner, better than later, uh, as they should. I mean, it's their stuff we're cleaning up. Um, but it, it's progress is there. It's just halting and expensive. Yeah. Uh, it would be nice if Chemwars had stood up and said, you know, we did wrong and we'll take care of this problem. And here's all the things that we should do and we're going to do them all. Well, they didn't do that. Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, you know, I get to speak with people in, in, in nonprofits and, and in, uh, NGOs and things like that. And it's a lot of times it's a mixed bag, right? A lot of times, especially if it's biodiversity, it's, you know, climate change, it's really negative. Here, it feels like there are some positive trends, huge, huge, huge changes in the past five years, but definitely some, some things that need to be done. What's your outlook? How are you feeling? Like, like what, what do you think, you know, I don't want to say like out of 10 or out of a hundred, like, how are you feeling? But like, you know, you, you got to feel a little bit positive about this, but still, you know, it's, yeah, obviously I, it's I not done. We've, we've managed to, I won't say completely solve the problem, but we've, we've managed the problem to the point where um, I think most of the customers in the area are, are being served with clean water. If not already, they will be soon. I think that we've made a lot of progress on letting people know what's going on so they can make informed decisions one way or the other. Uh, even if they don't have clean well water or clean municipal water yet, um, certainly they're in a position to make better decisions about installing RO systems on their homes uh, or uh, buying RO bottled water and that sort of thing. Um, so I'd say the public awareness has been a big victory. Yeah. I'd say that the uh, efforts to curtail the emissions and discharges from chemwars uh, have, have been by and large a big victory. Um, tough, tough battle, but big victory. Uh, I'd say that um, the, the local utilities have stepped up and, and done what they needed to do. So that's a big victory. Um, what remains to be seen is how much harm has been done that uh, can't be reversed. Uh, we don't know about the chronic effects of exposure to these chemicals. I mean, some of us have lived here a long time. I've been here 42 years. Mm -hmm. And I've been drinking that water all along and, and, you know, without knowing it. So, you know, have, have I shortened my lifespan? Um, I don't know. My doctor says it, it appears okay so far, but I know that for other folks, that is certainly not true. Um, we know of uh, elevated cancer risks and things like that in this population. So uh, there's definitely been some human health effects from PFAS exposures. Um, uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a mixed bag, but a lot of victories. We've, we've addressed a big problem. We've done a lot of big things 
to help deal with that problem if we had had more cooperation from the polluters themselves things would be a lot better than they are even now yeah 100% um okay so what what would you recommend people to do for their own health and safety whether they live in this area or not for when it comes to drinking water and just just over uh, you know uh, use of water and then how can right. people help fight the good right. fight whether they're in this area or not Right. I, I think one of the easy things to do is if you're on a municipal water supply system, ask your water provider to uh, have the water tested for PFAS. Uh, it's not cheap, but at the other, uh, on the other hand, it's, I think it's vitally important to know what you're dealing with um, and to release that information publicly. If there's PFAS in your drinking water, the very first thing is you need to know it's there. And you need to know whether the levels are problematic or not. Um, in some cases, we can't make a judgment on that. In other cases, we do have either proposed or actual standards in place. Depends on where you are. Some states have standards already. North Carolina is getting ready to adopt PFAS standards. Uh, EPA is working on standards and so forth and so on. So it's important to know what you're dealing with. Uh, if you have well water, the burden of testing is on the individual. And that, again, that can be expensive. Um, I'm not sure what to tell those folks. It's, it's context dependent. Uh, a PFAS test can cost you like 800 bucks. It's not trivial. Unfortunately, they're difficult compounds to analyze, and there's a lot of them. Um, the methods for doing that are um, <clears throat> fairly sophisticated. Not a lot of labs can do it, and they charge a fair penny for it. But in the Wilmington um, area, yeah, sorry, in the yeah. Wilmington area, you can contact ChemWars. I do know that, um, and they actually do that's respond. Right. I owe them a call you back. Can get your water tested here. Yes, yeah, okay, that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, elsewhere, um, I don't think there's quite the same legal arrangement. Uh, where the polluters forced to, to pay for the testing. Um, but at, a, at the very minimum, the uh, municipal water supplies are going to have to do this. EPA is working on rules for that uh, right now. Um, they're, they're getting ready to propose, if they haven't already proposed, uh, rules requiring water supply providers to test for PFAS compounds and of course, disclose that publicly. Hmm. I think that that's a really important first step. Um, an awful lot of people are on private wells. Um, you should know if your well is shallow or deep. If it's a shallow water well, that's where your your risk of exposure to these things is probably higher and, than if it's a. And how do you find that out? Uh, shallow water surface aquifer that's going to vary in different places around here top 25 feet or so um, in other areas the, the surface aquifer might be deeper or shallower um, and if you don't know how deep your well is you may have to get a hold of uh, a, a, you know, somebody who's a professional to tell you yeah you got a deep well or a shallow one okay uh, a lot of folks don't know um, you know, they just kind of uh, don't ask that question or, um, you know, bought the property used and, and never had an, a clue uh, about their well water. So, um, <clears throat> you know, as a default, if you're not sure your water is safe, uh, the reverse osmosis systems and granular activated carbon systems do a really good job of eliminating pretty much everything as a contaminant, not just PFAS. Wow. Wow. So that's an option. And you're looking at a couple hundred bucks uh, for a simple under sink system. And that's all you need to do the trick? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, so, and then lastly, what can people do to help organizations like like the one that you're a part of, the Cape Fear River Watch? Like how, how can we help you all help us? Right, right. Uh, the, the more members we have, the more powerful our voice. Uh, Riverwatch here in uh, the 
Wilmington, the Cape Fear River Watch, we have something on the order of a thousand members. But that's in a county with 225,000 people. Yeah, uh, we are very effective. We have uh, a working arrangement with the Southern Environmental Law uh, Center, and they help us with litigation. Um, I would encourage folks to look for their local river keeper uh, outfit. Much every watershed in the United States now has a river keeper associated with it. Um, look them up on the web, find out what they're doing, join the organization. If you have concerns about your water quality, whether it's drinking or other uses, uh, those water keeper organizations, river keepers and so on, uh, are an excellent source of that information. And um, we, as a group, make an effort to protect those waters of, of the people Bear in mind that the rivers, the lakes, the ponds, the streams belong to us, the people, mm-hmm. not to the polluters, not even to the government. The government is the steward of our public resource. And so the people own the rivers. They own that. And, and we have rights as owners that we can exercise. And when there's a lot of us all saying the same thing at the same time, the political types, the management types, the regulators are going to sit up and listen. Hmm. Our in numbers. I love it. Well, Dr. Kuhn, thank you so much for your time. I took more of it than I uh, should have on a Friday afternoon. So thank you for being cool and patient with that. Um, and frankly, hey, thanks for the good news. Like It seems like there's a lot more to do. Um, the amount of work you all have done in the past five years and and before is incredible. Yeah. So thank you for your time today and, and you know your, your your the hard work you've done and the hard work you've got ahead of you. So really, we really owe a lot yeah. to you. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining. If you like that episode, feel free to rate, view, and subscribe. That actually really helps. If you haven't seen it yet, take a look at the accompanying blog. Don't forget your boots.com where you can read more and see photos for all the interviews. Until next time, take care.